We are back in our series looking at Paul's letter to the church of Thessalonica. After three chapters, he is now out of the introduction. And like a pastor, he gets to the meat of the sermon over halfway through the time allotted. So three chapters in, he's finally making his first application. First three chapters, he's glad of what God is doing in this church. He's glad that they are being faithful. He's glad that they miss Paul and his associates and the church planning team. He's checked up on them. He shared his resume and ministry. Timothy returns with an encouraging report. And then if you remember, at the end of chapter 3, Paul prays for this church. And he talks about how he's praying for what is lacking. He's asking for spiritual growth. He's asking that they increase in love for each other. And what you'll see is now he applies that to this admonition, to this encouragement, to what he's about to bring up. And so what I want to do, I want to read the text, and then we'll dive in. And I also know that this is a very vital topic for the world in which we live in today. And I know with those in the room, we come from so many different backgrounds. We're going through so many different things right now. And so as I'm preparing this sermon, I'm thinking, does this apply to, to this group? Does this apply to this group? And, and how does this work? But I know this, as a family, this text tackles the front lines of where the fighting is the fiercest right now. And so as we read, understand this. You have brothers and sisters that desperately need your help in this area. And all of us are called to fight to live a life that is pleasing to God. You will not accidentally fall into holiness. And so I want you to hear what God has for you this morning. I also know in regard to this topic... Many of us in the room have blown it in this area. And there's hurt, and there's shame, and there's guilt. And yet there's a God who offers forgiveness and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, Jesus was put to shame on the cross to bear the scorn of our shame. So that before God, we are as righteous as Jesus is righteous that's a life transforming truth you don't have to hide guilty and shameful Jesus can make you new and so hear this just as we begin this text so chapter 4 verse 1 as for other matters brothers and sisters we instructed you how to live in order to please God so what you're going to notice the next two chapters, chapters 4 and 5, he's giving us instructions on in how we can live to please God. How awesome is that? You don't have to guess. You can know if you're pleasing God. Makes it clear. Instructed you how to live in order that you may please God as, in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Verse 2, for you know... What instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus? It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now you might be asking, what does sanctified mean? We'll look at that just a little bit, but he also explains it in the next couple of verses. 
So we know that it's God's will that we're sanctified. What does that mean? Well, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all of those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your instruction. Lord, I ask that you open up our minds, open up our hearts, help us receive this as what it is, your word. Father, I pray that we experience your grace and your forgiveness, but we also ask that we be sanctified, set apart to please you. We ask that you fill us with your spirit so that we can get after you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, listen, I'm not a history buff, but I know a little bit to be dangerous. And one of the most interesting times for me to look up and research and watch documentaries on is World War II. And World War II happens because of what is going on in Germany. There's this Treaty of Versailles. And Hitler again and again and again violates this treaty. And I'll just give you some of the parameters. So in this treaty, there was an agreement that Germany was limited to 100,000 soldiers and there were no tanks or no airplanes allowed. Well, Hitler laughed at that. He said, I'll tell you what, we're going to have a 300,000 soldier army. And we're going to make our own planes and we're going to make our own tanks and we're not going to tell you about it. This happened in 1933. He tripled the size of the military. And within two years, 1935, he had increased his army to over 550,000 soldiers with 2,500 warplanes. That's not it. He also violated the treaty by moving troops to take over the Rhineland. And then when nothing happened at that, he went into Austria and then the Sudetenland. Now, at that point in time, the Allies said, whoa, 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 whoa. Can't keep doing this. And so they sent over a couple of leaders, leader of France, leader of Great Britain, Neville Chamberlain. And he talks, and they come up with the Munich Agreement in September 30th, 1938. And Chamberlain declares, we have peace for our time. And there's mad celebration. Nobody wanted to get into another major conflict, another world war. But there was another guy in Great Britain that saw it another way. He states, you were given the choice between war and dishonor. And now you've got both. And he was right. Within a year, Hitler invades Poland and World War II begins. You know, when you come to this text, and you'll see it again and again, if you've ever heard of drawing a line in the sand, like you can go this far but no further, don't cross this line, don't cross this line. The Allies made compromises. How much would have been saved had Hitler been dealt with with a 100,000-person strong army instead of what happened years later. Some of us in the room 
are drawing lines in the sand and we're compromising over a sexual ethic, sexual immorality. I'm like, that's ah, not that big a deal, not that big a deal, not that big a deal. But Paul here says in this text, here's the line in the sand, and we will not compromise. You see this right at the beginning. He talks in verse 1 how you've received this instruction in the Lord. But then in verse 8, he talks about rejecting it. And all of us in the room have that choice. You can accept this as God's instruction for how we should operate with our sexual activity, or you can reject it. Another one is in verse 7. You can live an impure life, or you can live a holy life. But you can't keep making compromise after compromise. There's another line in the sand when it talks about how you can control your body or you can passionately pursue other lusts. But you can't do both. You see, the Bible has a way of saying, no, this is what is true, and you can either follow or not, but you can't have it both ways. Now, I mentioned earlier, this is where the fighting is the fiercest. The world in which we live in does not have a sexual ethic. To do whatever you want, it's your body, you decide. It's a very dangerous thing to live that way. And all this is, from God's word, is a warning. And we're all included. And you wanna know what is awesome? God has given us a church where we are brothers and sisters and we can help each other fight for holiness. We can look after each other. Maybe you don't struggle in this area, but I promise you many in this room do. How awesome would it be to know that we have cover from prayer warriors daily praying for our holiness? May I pray for, for their marriage. I pray that you protect them from all of the snares that Satan will send their way. And man, I pray for this young man and all the ladies that are attracted or not attracted or who he's trying to be attracted to. I, mean, I pray that he doesn't pursue them. I pray that he pursues Christ. And I pray that he sees what God will do with his life. But I promise you this. There is a line in the sand. And this is where I want us to draw it this morning. This is the line in the sand. This is, this is for me and this is for you. With my life, and I don't know how long God has given me. I was talking to a, a member earlier this morning. I, I probably don't have 50 years left. I hope I get to 90. I doubt I will. I eat too many cheeseburgers to get to 90. But this is my prayer. That with whatever years he's given me, I live a life that is holy and pleasing to him. And then at the same time, this is my fear. How tragic would it be? So let's say I'm, I'm pastoring here the next 10 years, and then I slip up in sexual immorality. I have an affair. Look at the disreputation I bring to the church, to the gospel, to Jesus, to my wife, to my daughters. Why would anybody... Why would anybody choose to go down that path? And yet person after person have destroyed families and relationships because of this. 
And you know what? It, it's kind of like, it's not too bad. I'm in control. I'm in control. I'm in control. And then you're not. So this is my line in the sand, and this is where I want you to draw it as well. That you commit to live a life that is pleasing to God. Amen? Amen. All right, so if we're going to please God, one thing that we can do, and this was kind of interesting with Paul. He starts out with verse 1 and 2. Oh, that you do this more and more. So in verse 1, you and I can know and live in such a way that God is pleased. You don't have to guess at what pleases God. You can know it. This is, it's so easy a two-year-old can figure this out. We're trying to go through potty training. And Dia knows just after a couple weeks that she needs to go potty on the toilet. Not in her diaper. And she knows that mom and dad are happy. Now, mom gets a little more excited than I do. Mom goes full cheerleader mode, clapping, snack, treat, all that good stuff. If you go to grandparents' house, you get all the snacks. But she knows that she can please moms and dads and grandparents if she just goes potty on the potty. She knows how to please her parents. In the same way, it's simple for us. We can know how we please God. And one way is by avoiding sexual immorality, controlling our bodies, loving our brothers and sisters, being sanctified. How awesome is that? We can know how God is pleased. Number two, you and I should be living to please God more and more. You should be growing in this. That's what you, you see in verse 1. He goes, as in fact you are living, now we ask and urge you. And, and this, is, this is an awesome thing. This, this is like a coach. Hey, you made a basket. Good job. Keep making baskets. You made a tackle. Great. Make more tackles. You're living for Jesus. Great. Keep living for Jesus. That's what Paul is doing. Hey, you're living... For God, you're pleasing God. Now do this more and more. Is that your desire? What an opportunity that you have. With the life that you have been given, you can please God more and more each day of your life. Is that a commitment you're making? And then in verse 2, you see this. Instructions on how to please God are not opinions. They are given by the authority of Christ. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus makes clear that we know that authority. All authority has been given to Christ. In heaven and on earth. All authority belongs to Him. This isn't an opinion piece. This isn't some journal. This is our Creator, our Sustainer, our Savior, who lived and died so that you and I might live holy lives. We've been bought with a price, so let us honor God with our bodies. There's a, a short blip on, remember the Titans, and they're, they're doing their two-a-days, their week-long trainings. It's a football team. They're coming together as a team, and they're doing all of these conditioning exercises, and they're doing up-and-downs, and Coach Boone asks them, will you ever quit? And the team responds, no, we want some more, we want some more, we want some more. That needs to be our anthem as a church. Will you please God? Yes. And we will do so more and more and more. We want to please God more and more and more.
in every area of our life, including how we deal with sex. As we keep going, so please God, more and more. A couple of verses that, that'll help you. If you're, if you're writing this down, if you have your phones, put this in. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a passage that we desperately need to memorize, desperately need to live out. Paul to the church at Rome says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You have to be very, very careful. Because God's word and the world's view are enemies. They don't agree. The world is telling you to live a way that is contrary to how God tells you to live. And if you're not digging into the Word, if you're not renewing your mind, you will conform to the world. The standards that you have should not be based on your friends' opinions, on pop culture, on different trends. It should be based on the Word of God. Don't conform. Be renewed. And then another passage besides Romans is 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Write these down. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18 through 20. It says, Flee sexual immorality. All other sin a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Have you ever watched a movie and thought it was hilarious and then you recommend it to mom and dad and then you watch it in front of mom and dad and realize eh, it's a little awkward. It's not as funny as I remember. You see, it's a difference when somebody else is in the room. There's a higher standard. Now, realize this. If you belong to Christ, his spirit dwells within you. Live a life that is holy. Live a life in holiness. And the Spirit will help you. Bought at a price. Glorify God with your bodies. So please God more and more. And then, secondly, and this is the main part of the passage, please God by being sanctified. Now, sanctification is a big word. All it means is becoming more and more like Christ. You should look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. And the fruit of the Spirit that you see in Galatians chapter 5 talks about joy and peace and love, patience and self-control. You should be growing in those areas. Now, Jesus is perfectly joyful. He has all the joy to the max. He has love to the max. He has self-control to infinity. He has all of these attributes perfectly maximized. The rest of us should be growing in this. That's what sanctification is. Westminster Catechism puts it this way, sanctification is the work of God's grace, whereby we are renewed by the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and to live unto righteousness. Another theologian, Wayne Grudem, puts it this way, a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more like Christ in our actual lives. You see this again and again in Paul's letters. 
Positively, sanctification is putting on the new man, the new creation, living out the new self. This is who you are in Christ, so live it out. Negatively, it's putting off the old man or putting sin to death. That's how sanctification works. Set apart to be holy. Romans 6.11 puts it this way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I also think this is important on the three aspects of sanctification. It begins at the moment of conversion. When you put your faith in Jesus, that is when sanctification begins. And so your position before God is you're justified. You're a new creation. Old is gone, new has come. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. That's the starting point of sanctification. Now, growing in Christ-likeness is a lifetime endeavor. The most holy woman that I know is my grandma. And she says, even towards the, the end of, of when she was staying at the house, um, she would mention, she comes to me, and she goes, you know what, Ben, I try just to live one perfect day. Just one day where, man, I was just perfect. And <laughs> she goes, and you know what, Ben? On the days that I think I'm close, I realize my heart's filled with pride, and then I blow it. I love the daily struggle where she's just pursuing Jesus. We will never arrive. None of us in the room are perfect. All of us are growing in sanctification. Now, here's the good news. What God begins, he will complete. One day, whenever, whenever I meet Christ, whether it's through the air when he returns or through the grave when I die, I will be made perfect. I will be completely, thoroughly sanctified. And that'll be forever. And so those are the three aspects of sanctification. And so be sanctified. And then what you see is Paul explains exactly how to be sanctified. Number one, avoid sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality is any sexual activity that happens outside the boundaries God has set for sexual activity. And I want you to hear that some churches are like, sex is bad, sex is not bad. Sex is a gift given by God for his people. But he has also given guidelines. Um, Diamondback. It's been a long time since I've been to Kings Island. Diamondback's fun ride. I've been on there one time. It's not comfortable. I'm a little bit too big for the ride. But you want to know what? You want to know who couldn't go on Diamondback? Dia. She's about this tall. The shoulder straps won't keep her in. Now she might say, "Dad, you're just being unloving. You won't let me have fun. You let all the other girls go on there. Well, they met the requirements for the rides." They can strap in safely and enjoy the ride without killing themselves. But Dia can't go on there. And when it comes to sex, many of you think, I don't care about the requirements. I'm going to do what I want. You won't survive. That's where hurt, pain, guilt, and regret live. And Satan, man, dolls it up shines it off and says, hey, this is what you need. And many are going after it. So you better avoid it. This includes both actions of the body and thoughts of the heart. You see, there were a lot of religious people in Jesus' day, and they're like, well, I never committed adultery. 
I keep all the commandments. And Jesus had this to say. He says, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's the standard. Holiness set apart for the glory of God. What are the boundaries? This is the boundary. Sex is a good gift from God to be enjoyed by a husband and wife within the marriage relationship. There is no compromise. Those are the boundaries. No matter what is politically correct, no matter what people think, this is the instruction given by God. Hebrews 13.4 puts it this way, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immoral. Those are the boundaries. Sexual actions and thoughts outside the bounds of marriage between a husband and wife is what we're talking about with sexual immorality. It includes a list of items. I was thinking about maybe I'll share stats on pornography. Um, here's the deal, working out of high school, it's all over the place. Easily accessible and very secretive, where sin thrives. You know, you used to have to go through the embarrassment of publicly buying a magazine. And now you don't have to. As a matter of fact, many people now see no problem with pornography. Some of the best-selling books, some of the most pornographic material. And it's not just for men, it's for ladies. And here's the crazy part. We think that we can mock God as if it's no big deal. Avoid sexual immorality. So, what's a way to do this? What's a way, how, how can we do this? How can we avoid sexual immorality? I, I think there's a good question to ask in every area of your life. And so, something like this. Uh, look at your music. Look at your music. Your music is communicating a worldview. Does your music help you strive to please God? What about movies? Look at your television shows. Look at the television shows I watch. Look at Netflix. If you just watch a show, look at how much happens outside of the bounds of marriage when it comes to sexual activity. It's become normalized. One of the shows that I used to watch, and now listen, I'm old, but The Office was a show I thought was hilarious. Look at the relationships in The Office. Now, there's nothing pornographic in The Office, but it's just subtly saying, hey, this is okay, this is okay, they're happy, it's okay. Does your music, movies, books, shows you watch on Netflix, social media, does it help you be sanctified, set apart to be holy for God? Do you please God with what you watch and with what you think about? The battle is happening in your mind. If Satan can get you to think about doing wrong sexually, it won't be long until you do wrong with your actions. Most unfaithfulness happens long before the actual event. 
It's days and days, weeks and weeks, years and years of habits that have gone unchecked, a behavior that we deem normal. It doesn't hurt anybody. And that's exactly how families are destroyed. Avoid sexual immorality, but then also control your own body. And verse 4 says, this is how you control it, in a holy way and an honorable way. In a holy way and an honorable way. One of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. This is what the Holy Spirit does in you. It helps you with this. And so just look at your life. Is what you do holy and honorable? Are you controlling your body? Or is sin controlling your body? And then he puts it negatively. Don't let your body be controlled by lusts. And this is where I think he, this is a bright blinking light giving us a hint on how we can be sanctified and how we can please God. Don't be controlled by lust like those who do not know God, like the pagans who do not know God. And, And that's not a throwaway verse. It's not a throwaway line. Why is that important? Because those who know God know something better than sex. And it's God. God is ultimate. And everything else we do, we need to line up to the glory of God. If you find the most joy in God, you won't go after lesser joys. And so the pagans, those who don't know God, are constantly trying to fill a void in their life, finally trying to be satisfied in something that will not satisfy. And so they're controlled by their lusts. Ever pursuing, but never capturing. Always longing, but never satisfied. But we're not those who don't know God. We know God. And in His presence is the fullness of joy. You want to avoid sexual sexual immorality? Find something better. And His name's Jesus. Avoid it. Control your body. And then, verse 6, Care for your brother or sister. Don't wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Now, I I love this. Listen, God blessed me with some brothers, and God blessed me with a sister. Now, my sister is very quiet, very reserved. Some people, even in my wedding, didn't know I had an older sister. She went to prom one time. Now, do you think I cared how she was treated? Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. I made sure. Now, listen, I was younger than her. But I made sure that this guy opened the door for her, respected her. I just asked her, hey, how's it going? We didn't have cell phones. I couldn't text her at this time. But at the dance, I just made sure she was all right. After the dance, I made sure she had a group. It was fun. Everything went well. And that this guy said the right things and did the right things because this is my sister. And now I've got four daughters. And listen, I haven't been to a dance in a long time. I'm going to learn a couple dances, and I'm going to chaperone. I'm just going to hang out in the back, and I'm going to look after my girls as a daughter. Because there's a lot of guys that don't look after them like a sister or a daughter. They look after them like an object. And you know what? You have those two options, too. This is an object of sexual gratification, or this is a brother or sister in Christ created in the image of God. So I'm not going to wrong or take advantage of this brother or sister. See how that changes the game? 
And then finally, after avoiding sexual immorality and controlling your bodies, not taking advantage of your brother and sister, he goes, oh, by the way, you'll give an account. There's a judge. And and I always thought this was an, an interesting comment, right? God will not be mocked. And it reminds me of fighters trying to cut weight, right? There's a weight limit, and the ones that are drastic are like these guys that weigh 155 pounds. And then by the time the next day when the fight rolls around, they're already 180. They put that much water weight back on. And it's a huge advantage to get low so you don't get bullied in the ring. And so these guys, their diets are unreal. Their exercise regimen, unreal. And just looking behind the curtain, you see that these guys, they're eating few noodles. Like the pasta's measured and put on their plate, and it's not enough to feed a baby. Meanwhile, their buddies that are training, they don't have to face the weight scale. They're eating whatever. Cheeseburgers, pizza, ice cream. Brutal. And the fighter's like, hey, man, can you chill out with that? But he won't taste it. The guys won't even take a piece of birthday cake when they have a fight coming up, and it's their birthday the week of. Why? Because they know the weight scale is coming, and it doesn't care about your birthday. I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to go run this because I've got to make weight or I'll be disqualified from the fight. And in the same way, one of the things that motivate us to live a life that glorifies God is we'll stand before him. We'll give an account. And man, I want, I want to glorify God with my body. And as one that knows, hey, when I die or when he comes, I'll meet him and face judgment and nothing is hidden. What I've done, what I've thought, what I've said, all laid out before the God who sees everything. That's a motivation to be sanctified, to avoid sexual immorality, to not take advantage or wrong a sister or brother, but to live a life pleasing to God. So be sanctified, and then he moves into his next spot, and I thought this was also interesting. Please God by fulfilling his calling for you. God has a call on your life. You see it in verse 7? For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Holy, not impure. To be holy is uh, to cut out. To be set apart. To be morally pure in all the things in every area and every way possible of our lives. Be holy, for God is holy. Ephesians puts it this way, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity because these are improper for God's holy people. Holy or impure. Now, how does this motivate us for daily living? Holiness set apart to please God. Holiness set apart to please God. That's what it means. So how does this affect us in our day-to-day? So for me, this past year, we had to go prom dress shopping. And thankfully, I have a wife that goes prom dress shopping. So it's not me and my daughter. Now, I could be included but I'm not much on style. But this is the motivating question that we need to be asking. Does this dress look good on me is not primary. The primary question is, does this dress glorify God? That's the primary question if you're looking for a prom dress. When you go see a movie, it shouldn't be how popular is it. It shouldn't be what's the recommendations. The priority should be, if I'm going to live a holy life, not impure life, is does this movie help me be holy? If it doesn't, don't go. 
And it's the same thing with TV shows and music. It'll point you one of these two directions, to be impure or to be holy. There is no neutral ground. That's why the line is in the sand. And don't compromise. You see this with websites or social media. You create patterns. If you're with people, and every time you're with people, something bad happens, stop hanging out with those people. If you're developing a relationship and there's an emotional connection with someone that's not your husband or someone that's not your wife, kill it. God has called you to holiness, not impurity. You know, Billy Graham was given a hard time by a lot of people because he refused to do one-on-one meetings with the opposite sex. But you want to know one of those people who never complained? His wife. And you want to know what you never heard? Of an inappropriate relationship with Billy Graham. It's not by accident. He understood his calling to live a holy life. How about dating? Are you dating in a way that sets the standard for holiness? Or is your dating relationship leading to impurity? And there's so many different things. And this really needs to be a a standalone for families. And when we talk about dating, um, and I think we're going to do that as a church family. But there's a way that you can date that glorifies God, that pleases God. And then finally, please God by accepting his instruction. You see this in verse 8. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And I love that. The Holy Spirit's the game changer. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you can live a holy life. That's what the Spirit does. So don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. When he convicts you of sin, turn from it. When he convicts you of what is right, pursue it. Be led by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. And then we'll close with with this. There's a few things. There's something out front called Anthem. It's just a piece of paper. Um, I encourage you to take it with you. Um, It's ways to fight the battle, to pursue holiness, to avoid sexual immorality. It's by John Piper. Super helpful. Practical steps and how you can fight the battle. So take it for you. Take it for your husband. Take it for your grandkids. Get it in people's hands. And see how you can fight this battle. And then maybe you can pray for us as a church that we pursue God, that we actually fight to be holy. And so you hear this, and, and this is where I, I, I want to be careful. The, the church is not saying, don't have sex, don't do this, sex is bad, da 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 the church is saying is God is infinitely greater than anything this world has to offer. But our world says, no, sex is ultimate. So I'll pursue it. And so we need to hear the voice of God when it comes to this area of our lives. Now, I'll try to do this with an illustration. Uh, C.S. Lewis talked about how our problem is that we're too easily satisfied. He talks about kid who loves mud pies even though he could have a vacation on the beach. He'd rather stay in the mud making mud pies. Says that our desires are way too easily satisfied. Our kids in the the nursery, in the children's area, I I think they'll get goldfish. They might get Cheez-Its, but I I saw a pack of goldfish. 
And now listen, these goldfish are good. They're fresh. They still crunch when you chew them. I mean, there's even some with different color packs, even though it's all the same taste. They're salted. Uh, it's not whole grain like school goldfish. This is the real deal goldfish. It tastes pretty good. Now, let's say we're trying to get our kids to stop eating goldfish. They just keep eating goldfish. Every Sunday they come in and they're eating goldfish. There's packs here and there's a box here and the cups are filled here. They're on the shelves. It's everywhere around them. If your strategy is to go and say, hey, kids, don't eat the goldfish. Don't eat goldfish. Don't even look that way. Don't look. Ah, ah. Sometimes the church approaches sex that way. I, I think this is a better approach. Let's say we want them to turn from goldfish and turn to soft serve ice cream. So I don't know about you growing up. Ameristop had the best. You had vanilla, swirl, and chocolate. I'm always going swirl, best of both worlds. Let's say, you know what? We need to tell them, we need to tell them, hey, try this ice cream. You'll never go back to goldfish. Try it, and we just keep pointing them to this ice cream machine. Or you want to know what we could do? Let's just say, you know what? I get a large ice cream cone, and it's about this tall. And I go in there, and I'm just going to town on this ice cream cone. What do you think will happen when the kids see me eating this ice cream? They're not going to care about the goldfish anymore. Hey, hey, but where can I get one? Can I, can I get one of those? You want to know how you can live a life to please God? Find your joy and satisfaction in Jesus. Find your joy and satisfaction in Jesus. And then here's the cool part. When people see your joy in Christ, how you treasure him in every area of your life, they'll see how much less sex cannot fill that. And they'll go to something greater. As Jesus put it, there's a field. And there's this pearl of great price compared to the kingdom of God. And he says, in his joy, he went and sold everything that he had so he could have this field. That's Jesus. Sex is nothing compared to the pleasure that is ours in Christ. And then I'll leave you with this warning. Be careful if you think you're standing strong. One of the, the scariest passages in the Bible for me is 2 Samuel 11. And it's David. And, and the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. And this is after his victories. This is after he whooped up on Goliath. This is after he won victory after victory. And in the promise and peace and kingdoms going well. So well that when it's time for kings to go out to war, David stayed home. And then maybe you've heard it said, it's all right to look. David would disagree with you. He's on the balcony one night and he sees this woman bathing. And it says that he saw that she was very beautiful. And the glance turned into a gaze. It led to an affair. It led to him killing one of his mighty men, Uriah, trying to hide it. And it destroyed his family. You see, David sold out on his family for a moment of sin's pleasure. And that was a man after God's own heart. So if you think you're standing strong, be very, very careful. Use your brothers and sisters around you to hold you accountable. Be filled with the Spirit and strive to please God. Moses is another example. Moses had everything that he wanted. Could have stayed in Egypt. He was grandson to the Pharaoh. Could have had whatever he wanted. The nicest car. Well, I guess at that time, the nicest chariot. Nicest sandals. All the food. But he said he rejected that. The fleeting pleasures of sin rejected that. 
for the treasure that is Christ. And he said the reason was because he was looking forward to his reward. So there's two things that I want to have in my mind. Whenever I'm tempted, I want to look at these two things. One, I want to imagine I'm 70, 80, 90 years old, and I'm holding Julianne's hand, and maybe we're on the rocking chair, and maybe the girls are married and we have grandkids, and everybody's around, and I can say, hey, Julianne, I was faithful to the Lord and I was faithful to you. That's what I want. That's what I want. And then I want to have in my mind, when I stand before Christ, God, I strived to please you in every area of my life. And you want to know what the good news is? There's a Psalm 51 when David fell. He messed up. He blew it bad. And yet God heard his prayer. There's forgiveness. There's healing. There's restoration. There's new starts after new starts after new starts. And it's all available because of what Christ has done for us. One thing that Satan does is, man, you've messed up so much in this area, you can never please God. That's a lie. Today, draw the line in the sand that from here, moving forward, until you meet Christ, you will seek and strive to please God. Amen.